face to face, hand to hand, film to film. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Film to Film. My name is Sinja Aquilinier. I'm here with uh, my good old friend, James Shergan. Hey, James, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Are you going to say my name five times? Maybe, maybe. I was going to say, though, today I was thinking of, uh, of the song Candyman. Doop, 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 doop. Hey, Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, who, who can take the sunrise, man? Who can sprinkle it, sprinkle it on, with the dew? The cam- Candyman <laughs> can. You know, I am not familiar with this song as you are. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> have you not seen uh, Willy Wonka? I have, but uh, it's been many years since I've seen it, and uh, I don't have it stuck in my head. Or uh, what about Malcolm in the Middle? I mean, th- those are the two references uh, where that song... It, is, it has yeah. likewise been a long time since I've seen Malcolm in the Middle, and uh, my memory of Brian Cranston is much more familiar as a drug lord than it is uh, uh, a suburban dad. Uh, that's true. That makes sense. Um, Although he was both actually in uh, Breaking Bad, so there you go. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and, and their son was an idiot in both cases. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, and I'm not talking about already. his uh, physical disability. I'm talking about like he was kind of a prick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Uh, <laughs> Before we get fully derailed on uh, something completely relevant, well, you know, how's your week? What have you watched? Uh, it was good. Um, I watched uh, this film, Candyman, and I also watched uh, earlier today, Candyman 2. So. Oh, you watched uh, Candyman 2? All right. Uh, yeah, it just was uh, curious this... how it was. It does not have a terribly great reputation, and I found it to be okay. Uh, I don't think it's as good as the original, but uh, it wasn't bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my, I mean, I mean, from what I heard, it's a it's a trilogy, isn't it? Yeah, and I heard the third one was uh, particularly bad, um, but uh, so I, I have yet to see that one. And of course, they have uh, the uh, new Candyman coming out this year, uh, produced by uh, Jordan Peele and directed by Nia DaCosta. So, yep, uh, that should be interesting. Yeah, no, no, for sure, I'm excited. I mean, in fact, that is the reason why. It- about the movie that we're talking about, <clears throat> for the movie we're talking about today, Candyman. Yep. Uh, you know, it's been a while since we've talked about a classic American horror. Actually, have we talked about a classic American I, horror? I think this and along with Gloria Bell are our only two North American films. Or, well, did we do a Mexican film? No, we've done some Mexican films. Uh, American films. Uh, yeah, yeah, USA. like the USA. Um, yeah. Thank you for being an inclusive, uh, James. I mean, indeed, uh, folks in my culture, and myself included, uh, think of America as being something bigger than uh, the United States. But <laughs> I mean, under those terms, we've done a lot of American films. Yeah. Uh, but no, but strictly U.S. Uh, American films. Uh, I mean, we did, we did more. We've done more. We've done Midsommar. We've done. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, we've done promising, uh, promising young. Oh, promise! There you go. Thank you. Oh, no, promising young woman was British. Let me remind you, according to the British Film Awards. Oh, uh, yes, of course, <laughs> of course, because uh, all those accents were so uh, British. Um, yeah. Yes. Anyways, uh, back to. But I mean, I think this is like the first one of the first like 
classic-ish uh, American films. It is, yes. Uh, that we've talked about in this podcast. We've referenced tons of American films, but I don't think we've ever talked to one, uh, one about Yeah, I, I think this is going to be the most popular um, uh, USA film that we've done uh, on the podcast. Besides Promising Young Woman or... Okay, okay, fair enough. Besides the modern film? Most besides classic. Midsommar? Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the reason... As usual, we're getting derailed by uh, small semantic uh, things. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Uh, that, 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 that is film to film. Exactly. I mean, if we had a third person, it would be even more fun, right? Um, because we would be getting derailed even more. But... Uh, yeah. Anyways, so yes, Candyman. Uh, I mean, this is today. This time it was my pick of films. Uh, and to be honest, uh, I had never seen this movie. I knew of it. Uh, I knew that it's a classic that I should watch. Uh, but um, but yeah, this is. I decided to to choose this because uh, the remake is coming out soon, as you mentioned. Um, when is it coming out? Do you know? Um, it is coming out, uh, I had it open just a moment ago, uh, it is coming out on August 27th, uh, and we're recording this August 6th, so three weeks from today. Oh shit, okay, so maybe we'll do a follow-up with, uh, with the remake and see what we think about it, uh, because that one's produced by Jordan Peele, and... Yeah, yeah, and I feel a little bad not giving more credit to the director, uh, Nia DaCosta, but I'm not I'm not really familiar with her, uh, so so it's easy to <laughs> give Jordan Peele the big name. But his name alone makes me have uh, uh, some hope that it's going to be uh, of decent quality. I know, I know. And again, we are on the tangent right now, and I'm going to continue for a little bit. Uh, isn't it amazing though how Jordan Peele went from you know doing sketch comedy to uh, being like a, a name for for horror and uh, thrillers? It is. I mean, it's very impressive, I got to say. I mean, now it's like him and like you could mention him. He's obviously very different, but like a director like Ari Aster, uh, who did Mid Midsommar, which we were just talking about in Hereditary, mm -hmm. uh, as well as uh, uh, Edgar's, uh, what's his name? Uh, Robert Edgar's that did uh, uh, The Witch um, and uh, uh, The Lighthouse. Did they also start in like outside... Uh... No, no, no. I'm just talking about a sort of like a new class of horror directors that oh, started yeah. directing films uh, in like the mid to late uh, 2010s. Right. And whenever you hear their names, you're like, oh, I'm in it. I I'm watching this. I mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, they have good batting averages. Like so far, Jordan Peele has only directed two films. But uh, I mean, I think like most people, I think Get Out is better than us. But I thought they're both pretty high quality films. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, I'm, I'm very enjoyable. Um, I, I mean, can't. This Candyman uh, remake will, since it was going, yeah. since it's going to be directed by a different person, I'm I'm uh, I'm curious how that's going to work out. Um, yeah, I mean I've seen some shows produced by Jordan Peele, like um, uh, what's it called? Um, <clears throat> uh, Lovecraft Lovecraft Country, and that's and that was pretty good. Um, yeah, Jordan Peele likes the weird shit. And yeah. Candyman actually definitely gives you a lot of material to make some weird shit. For sure. There's a lot of text here. Yeah, and it's really easy uh, to see why uh, why he would be attracted to this material. Oh, I yeah. Think. Um, um, 
some very obvious reasons. Um, but we'll get into that, I'm sure. In the yeah, no, we're, exactly. Um, so anyways, I kind of already mentioned a little bit of my, my initial impressions of this film. I know you've seen it already once. Uh, mm-hmm. You just watch it again. But yeah, what are, what are your thoughts about it? Um, I quite like it. I, I think it's a pretty impressive film. I think there's a lot of uh, text going on. I think it's a really good uh, visual film. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I have, I have a very positive opinion about it. What about yourself? No, I really liked it. Uh, I thought visually, uh, the scene setups, cinematography, music, um, and plot, I mean, everything falls, falls together really well. Uh, it it definitely has a, it's ni- uh, the the 90s feel but considering uh, so, uh, the certain subject matters that it touches upon uh, I feel like it, it was fairly tasteful especially since uh, it did not its director was British. not <laughs> yeah it's like British director uh, 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 it, it's based on a British book written by a British guy so yeah. it is very in- impressive. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the original story, I think, was uh, in Liverpool or something. So it's like literally set in Britain. So they transposed it uh, to Chicago. And I, I mean, like, I think they did a really good job with it. Yeah. And, 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 and what's cool, I, I don't know if the original story had any racial, any racial like, component to it. But I mean, I think that in the American version, they sort of integrated that very well. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I think the film has aged quite well uh, in a lot of ways, um, uh, especially considering it's tackling race. And the way that we think about race here in America mm-hmm. in 2021 is undoubtedly extremely different than 1992. But in many ways, um, I think the film holds up pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely. So anyway, so I haven't jumped into the one sentence summary, so I'll, look, I'll throw this in. Uh, I got this from IMDB. So whoever wrote it well whatever uh so that it goes as follows the candy man a murderous soul with a hook for a hand is accidentally summoned by a real uh by <coughs> sorry it's accidentally summoned to reality by a skeptic grad student researching the mos- monster smith all right uh some i'd say that's a pretty good synopsis yeah yeah, that sums it up without um, uh, uh, going too over uh, overboard. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I looked at the Wikipedia one, and it was like a an overly long run on sentence. So, <laughs> so this is much uh, short and concise. Um. So, I mean, yeah. In, in short, it's a monster. But I mean, yeah. This movie. One, one thing I liked is. I feel like I'm, and maybe I'm not 100% sure if it started the whole trope of having a, a film start with, you know, the teenagers. It's like, ooh, have you heard about this? And I, I think that's like a slasher trope, isn't it? I mean, so did, wouldn't that be before this? No, well, but this style, like, so I'm thinking, um, so the only two films I can think of with, with this trope are this one on the ring? Oh, really? The American huh. remake of the ring uh, of you know, like starting, um, starting yeah. someone talking about like, ooh, have you heard about this ghost situation? Mm-hmm. Ooh, why don't we try it out? They try it out, and then right afterwards, 
you know the bad shit happens. Bad shit happens, and that's like sets up the stand the the standard for the rest of the movie. Yeah, you know it's interesting you bring up the ring. There there might be some interesting similarities. I hadn't thought of that comparison before. Um, I do think they do ha- have done a similar thing in some slasher films. Slasher films are so dime a dozen for me that I struggle to come up with the names of them. But there's definitely like some. Um, as well as John Carpenter's The Fog, where they're sort of talking about like these legends of stuff happening, and then uh, bad stuff happens. Uh, like right away, whether it happens immediate. Yeah, whether it happens immediately or not, I, I don't recall exactly. But um, right, because- you know, I think it works well in this case because the whole film is sort of about like this myth making and mm-hmm. how stories are passed down and told. So I think it fits with Candyman especially well. Yeah, with uh, folk legends or no urban legends. Yeah, urban legends. Um. So yeah, I mean, uh, one one <laughs> one area that I was kind of curious throughout the entire movie was like, I, I wonder what what her thesis is about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you know, it's a totally different movie, but I couldn't help but like think of this in relation to Midsommar, which is also about like a bunch of like petty academics uh, bickering between themselves about like theses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was, I was also curious what, <laughs> what, what her thesis was. Also what, what course teaches like urban legends? Cause I feel like there are other movies with that, with that sort of like with that setting too. And I'm like, in what undergrad can you take a course on urban legends? I don't know. Not undergrad that I did, but I majored in electrical engineering, so I got no freaking idea. I guess maybe critical literature. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) One of those humanities. Yeah. Um, But anyways, uh, jumping into this movie, uh, you know, one of the first things that uh, makes this film so attractive, I would say, is the uh, cinematography. I agree. Um. You know the the uh, you know the, the bird's eye view with a tracking camera uh, of Chicago is really beautiful. Uh, that pl- uh, put together with uh, you know uh, Philip Glass's uh, score really creates attention and uh, the mood for the entire film. Uh, I think also Chicago's architecture really helps this film out uh, and on how it looks. Uh, there is that shot. Whenever, whenever you have the shot of the University of Illinois, I want to say that's the university where the yeah where they yep, are. That's right. It, it looks beautiful. It looks amazing uh, from 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 the bird's eye view. I'm, I mean, from inside, actually, it doesn't look that interesting. But yeah, yeah, I 100 percent agree. Um, and like you know, these shots have become like these bird's eye views have become like kind of a dime a dozen with drone technology and stuff like that. And this is obviously predates that, but they had a very steady hand. Whoever was holding that camera uh, out of the helicopter mm-hmm. uh, and taking those shots because they look great, they look fantastic. All of the bird's eye ones, mm-hmm. and I almost feel like uh, one difference that I see in these bird's eye versus like bird's eye that we get now is they almost like pull the camera back another like a hundred meters in the air or something because it felt like they're really like eye in the sky views um when we're looking at the university of illinois uh, Mm -hmm. chicago as well as like the freeways um but yeah i I agree and like that plus the philip glass score it just makes this a very um sort of very classy uh feeling uh horror film that has like these art elements that i think work really well also uh with um sort of candy man the character too yeah add to that mythos 
um, and it has sort of like this operatic quality to it uh, that I think, um, you know, if this had like a stereotypical 80s score, I don't think we remember it the same way or even close. Right, no, definitely. Uh, granted, when it comes to remembering a score, Philip Glass's scores are so repetitive that uh, it's hard to not get it stuck in your head. Yes, <laughs> yes. That That is the Candyman score I had stuck in my head, uh, Inyaki had Willy Wonka, apparently. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, um, <clears throat> yeah, that, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Um, have a bee stuck in my throat. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was recently making out with Matt Candyman. Um, anyways, um, <laughs> I, I I think, generally speaking, uh, I actually I forgot what I was going to say. But in short, beautiful scene, uh, very memorable uh, from from the beginning. We're looking at Chicago streets. Uh, as well as just the different locations. Uh, mm-hmm. just well done. I, I think to your comment about the helicopter, I almost want to say that it might be easier to get the that shot with a helicopter than with a drone. Because um, hmm. you're mentioning how high up it is. Yeah, <clears throat> it's really high. And helicopters are actually very steady. Like it's uh-huh. apparently like... It's you know like it's common movie trope that helicopters are really shaky and stuff like that, but apparently they're very steady. Hmm. Okay. And and I assume that drones, the higher up it, the higher it is, the more wind you have, and with the more wind you have, the the higher the the harder it is to have that steady uh, shot of the city. Okay. Well, in that sense, then maybe uh, like I had listened to a podcast before this, uh, the Evolution of Horror podcast, where they're talking about Candyman. And they were talking about how, like, the uh, drones and stuff had sort of cheapened those shots. But in some ways, I think it actually makes these shots look even better because it's really rare, I think, to see uh, bird's eye view or, like, eye of God views uh, that are so high up. And maybe it's because of the reasons you're just talking about how drones can't get as high. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I was pretty impressed with uh, how the shots look. Yeah, no, for sure. Because, I mean, that is really high. So, I mean, you you really have to have a very good, like, a solid drone. I mean, all in all, you, you know that. At, uh, and when you, you were using the word cheapens, like we mean it literally, because a ha- renting a helicopter is a lot more expensive than, <laughs> yeah, yeah, than having is. a drone. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> but I would say definitely this definitely stands out more than other films, and how high it is. But also, again, it's the, that beautiful use of Chicago. I mean. There's so many movies set in Chicago, and it's always you always have the landscape, that big tower. I, I never know the name, but that you know that weird black building with the two antennas. Um, yeah. Uh, but but you know that, that like that's so cliche as opposed to this top down view of it of, of the city. Um. Now going into the characters, this is kind of the Willis Tower. Well, the star. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was called something else at the time, too. So uh, a little confusing. But there you go. Yeah. I mean, you were in Chicago recently, right? Yeah, I, I was in there uh, about a month ago. So I actually uh, saw the Willis Tower and the skyline. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it, it does a good job. I, in fact, that made me kind of ex- more excited to rewatch this film. Because I think this might be one of the best Chicago films that just showcases... 
like the setting super well. Mm-hmm. Um, like it shows you that skyline, um, and then you also get like a really nice looking. Well, I'm uh, maybe nice is the wrong adjective to use, but you get a, a very um, textured and unique view into sort of like uh, the urbanism and sort of urban gothic decay, um, yeah. which I find to be um, uh, really fascinating to dive into. The, the other thing that's nice about the setting is. I mean, clearly this was shot when it was cold, uh, and it adds to the feel of the film, along with the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout the entire movie, whenever someone is outside, I mean, even in cars, you can see their breath. And uh, it's just, it, I don't know, it, it, it adds to sort of that gray mood that uh, the film has. And one fun thing about watching it now, though, is uh, when they're in the projects, because uh, the, the, in all the scenes at the university and whatever, everyone's just like snooty and they dress snooty and with like uh, muted colors, which is actually very similar to what people dress today. But uh, in the projects, you saw those like bright like jumpsuits with uh, purples and like, neon green or whatever. And mm-hmm. it was kind of nice to see that in and, like all those bright colors in an otherwise very gray city and setting. Right. Now, I mean, the urban uh, art and the graffiti and stuff really, um, like, add a lot of color to the to the overall scheme. Yeah. Um, which is otherwise, as you said, very gray, especially the academic scenes. It's like the interior academic scenes are not particularly um, eye-catching uh, or aesthetic in the way that, like, they film, like, uh, Cabrini Green and, and the city in general with, like, the eye in the sky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then <clears throat> when it comes to the people, it's also interesting how, like, that also sort of is reflected in the people in the sense that uh, the all the people in the academic setting are kind of shitty. Oh but, yeah, just like Midsommar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, I mean, you got you got Helen, our uh, white lady protag- protagonist, yep. with <laughs> her friend uh, Bernie, who appears to be uh, who is African American, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Cassie but, Lemons. Yeah, yeah. Castle Lemons. And, th- and they both are, you know, like they're both writing this, th- working on this weird thesis. And I mean, like, the only likable person, uh, and then, you know, her husband, uh, who is uh, Trevor, and and then, like, that one weird other yeah. professor that looks like a young Benjamin Franklin. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Trevor is, like, one of the all time. Uh, asshole husband i know like i mean this is douchebag to to <laughs> real piece like, of work to yeah. 11 um yeah. but the reason i'm pointing this out is all, all the characters be, besides bernie all the characters are um like from the academic world are, are complete assholes and snobs and they're just not likable people like the student the few students that are shown also not likable and then the the all the characters from from the projects are actually kind of likable. They're, they're, you know, like uh, you got um, Anne-Marie played by Vanessa Stell Williams, uh, who's, you know, just a, a very caring and sweet mother, uh, a little bit protective uh, <laughs> with her, <laughs> with her Rottweiler. But, uh, you know, uh, you got the kid, I forget his name, um, Jake, you know, Jake. Yeah, yeah. You got Jake, the boy, uh, and you know, I don't know most of the character except for the dude who who, you, 
who completely uh, knocks out Helen. Yeah, who is also played by um, uh, the Tony Todd who plays Candyman. Um, oh, the dude who knocks out Helen is played by the same actor? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nah. Um, we'll look that up. We'll, uh, we're going to we look talk. that up. Yeah, we're going to yeah, look yeah. that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about Helen? Did you find Helen to be likable? Not necessarily. I mean, okay. I, I think um, she was uh, on the entitled side, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I would say I liked her. Uh, she was definitely like a highly flawed person, but I didn't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say she was dislikable in the same way like her husband was, for example. Ex- yeah. Or like the other academics. She clearly also has like, uh, like the gender politics of this also play sort of a, a, a supporting role too mm-hmm. uh, to the racial politics um, where it's like, it's pretty clear she has like a chip on her shoulder um, compared to like some of the, uh, like the male professor Purcell, I think, who is pretty patronizing um, towards her. You mean and, uh, uh, her husband is young Benjamin Franklin? Yeah, young Benji, um, as well as her husband, who is just in general a dirtbag. I know. Uh, I mean, the, the husband was... I mean, be, the the actor also did a really good job at doing that, just like appearing complete douchebag. <laughs> he has a very punchable face. Indeed. Uh, husband Trevor Lyle, uh, portrayed by Xander Berkeley. I've never yep. heard of him before, but he looks a lot like, uh, I want to say, James Wood. He reminded me of James Wood. <laughs> a little younger James Woods. Uh, I mean, yeah. It's the 90s, though. Yeah, that's true. Like that's true. James, James Wood, like in uh, uh, Videodrone. Yeah. Except for... Okay. And, and James Wood is a, a very good example of uh, a person who in real life is completely unlikable. <laughs> I would say James Woods is more charismatic than this guy, but yes... Uh, I, I guess I can sort of see uh, how you go there. Yeah. Um, so you're saying that the characters were all, uh, a lot, the academic characters are all pretty dislikable. Yeah, I mean, like Bernie was is one of the better ones, or Bernadette. Mm-hmm. Uh, by, you said Cassie Lemont, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Bern, uh, she, she's like the only smart character, if you will. Like, you know, they're going through the project. She comes in armed. <laughs> like, yeah. I love this scene, like where she, you know, you see her purse and it's like a fucking taser and like, pepper spray and she's like and we'll look like cops we're gonna get fucked you know like (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah i mean there's like a certain uh naiveness to virginia madsen's uh character helen mm -hmm. um that's certainly there i mean it's also seems like she might have some sort of a white savior thing going on oh yeah uh, for herself uh and i i don't know i thought that was depicted fairly well um like or honestly um, sure. No, no, no. Like her, I think so too. Her, I agree. Her arrogance comes off. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's her character certainly has some arrogance to her. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think it's pretty clear. No, I agree. And and I mean, and Helen grows on you. That's why I, I wasn't saying that she's like. I guess it's not like she's unlikable, but uh, she starts off to me coming uh, coming kind of, kind of off a little bit, you know, entitled. But uh, she grows yeah. on you. She gets uh, better. Uh, especially after she's like being internal, like interned at the hospital, like you start liking him more. Yeah, yeah. Um. So anyway, so uh, you know, let's go a little bit on to certain themes, if you will. 
So we got okay. uh, the class slash race uh, theme in this film mm-hmm. um, that is quite interesting in the sense that I mean, even the, I mean, they, they sort of, you know, set it up with uh, the building where Helen lives, which apparently was supposed to be a project, but they were on the other side of the train tracks. And that sets up the concept of like, oh, you know, one side of the tracks is like poor black people live. And then the other side is like the white and few black rich people or wealthy people. And yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. That, that, this is definitely probably the theme that jumps out the most out at you uh, in the film. And it's interesting because like that makes it film feel like super Chicago. So it's almost unbelievable that this was originally set in like Liverpool. Um, but supposedly like the director Bernard Rose uh, uh, visited Chicago and was like so struck by sort of the racial dynamics and how segregated it was um, that he was uh, inspired to set it there. Um, mm-hmm. and supposedly Cabrini Green also is, was like the projects itself was located in a fairly, um, affluent area and they just sort of put this big housing project in the middle of it. So surrounding it, um, not, you don't have to go too far to get to like, uh, nicer areas or nicer things going on oh. or more affluent stuff. So I thought that was also interesting, uh, yeah. just the sense that like, um, and you know, you and I both live in cities and mm-hmm. so. Uh, I think for me, at least, uh, sort of that urban appeal, uh, ur- urbanism certainly has more of an appeal to me than like seeing a slasher set in like uh, like a summer camp or something like that. Um, so like having sort of like those interesting dynamics where you're in like this sort of very, um, I don't know, you're like here in Seattle, you're in like an area that has like a homeless camp or something like that. And you go a few blocks and then you're at like a very nice building or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I thought that dynamic was captured fairly well. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I also agree how, you know, um, like the, the few things setting apart like one building to another, even though they're literally the same the building design, was how much care was placed in, uh, in the, in the, within, inside. Uh, it's like, oh, we're selling this to affluent people. Okay, we're going to put nice walls and whatnot. Oh, we're selling this to, you know, we're selling this to, like, poor black folks. Oh, we're just going to do a shit job. Cheapest stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, a great point. I, I think that's well captured and sort of, like, it shows you that Helen lives in a very similar building in some ways, but she has this great view. Mm-hmm. Her apartment looks great. It's well lit. And then you see sort of the contrast. Exactly. And, uh, like, Anne-Marie clearly put some love into her home, too. But you could just see from like the hallways and stuff, just littered with graffiti and stuff like that. That like this is, uh, you could see why. Uh, uh, um, what's her name? Uh, Bernadette would bring um, <laughs> a taser to uh, to that area. Right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's the other. Uh, that's great. Uh, we're jumping to the next part, which is like Anne Marie, uh, her character, her house, everything. You know, it, like it shows how maybe in a subtle or actually not very subtle way talks about how, you know, there, we got the stereotypes of people and then the actual reality, right? And Anne-Marie's, uh, you know, the stereotype is the projects are, it's a shitty place. Everything looks shitty. But then, you know, you got Anne-Marie's house and 
she's done clearly put a lot of effort to make her house look to be nice her apartment within the project uh, uh, I mean from the first time you, you see her she's wearing um, I don't know if she's a nurse or she is uh, a cleaning person I'm not sure but I mean like she is she really cares about you know having a good life uh, trying to have a good a good decent life and with with the cards that are given to her uh, mm -hmm. from the little from the little that you see and then you know when when she talks to them straight up pointing out like oh, why are you guys here you know you academics why are you guys here to see how shitty we live to see how we're all gangbangers and uh, and like drug dealers because you know I'm I'm here because. I'm not. I'm here to survive. I'm here to take care of my child, you know. And, uh, and and it is true. Like I mean, it is touching upon something that I feel like even happens today, which is sort of like the the misery tour. Yeah, poverty porn. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, folks just going there. It's like, oh, I just want to see poor people. And it's like, no. Actually, probably most people who live here are normal people normal hardworking people who want to be who, who want to have the American dream <laughs> right right yeah I mean I thought yeah the more we talk about it the more I realized that it was uh, quite a uh, well thought out touch to make her apartment actually quite nice uh, mm -hmm. uh, not like not a bad place it's just uh, the building itself and the surrounding areas that are uh, <laughs> not in great condition yeah although but it makes you wonder though like what I mean, they don't show you other apartments, but who knows? Maybe all the other apartments are nice. They're they're not that bad looking inside, and it's just like. Well, we do see the apartment where the crime had happened uh, that Helen starts walking through. Right, but, but that's uninhabited. So I mean, it's not, exactly your points well taken. Yeah, it's it's abandoned. Uh, it's a former crime scene. Yeah, there's there's li literally blood in the in this dirty ass uh, bathtub, like still there. Yeah, and, and and I mean I think that's sort of the story, the second part of the of the you know this class race story is the abandonment, right? I mean, all all it all all you need is for someone to care, right? Like that to to take care of the place, and then the place will look nice. But no no one's there. Like the government is not there. The I mean the, the local government's not there. I mean the police, right? So one of the first stories that you hear, you don't, you don't, we don't get to see this scene, right? But they, they tell you about the woman who's brutally killed by Candyman, and Candyman kills his, her child too, and she calls the cops. They never came. The neighbor called the cops. They never came, right? Yeah. Um, and and once they came, it became you know like uh, a media, a huge media news and then everyone left and forgot about it right and and cops never tried to search for a killer until the white the nice white lady helen gets right. hit by someone right exactly i mean and that disparity is uh spelt out i mean like that's literally spoken um as like as soon as the white lady gets assaulted then uh, the cops get on it and they make an arrest very quickly yeah and, and she's like but why couldn't you use the child? This kid already knew about this dude. Like, why couldn't you ask him? And he's like, because we got you. Yeah. It, I mean, like, 
if you're talking about a, a message that feeds pretty clearly into like uh, like a like literally spoken out like the black lives matter message then i mean that's a pretty clear one yeah and uh indeed so in a way that's a very uh look you know forward looking if you will and yeah and i think it's illustrated in a way that's like not too on the nose uh but also not it's not subtle either no, so no. i i think most people will pick up on that uh certainly in the 2021 context i think people would um so i uh I thought that was well handled, and I think that part has aged fairly well, at least for my month. No, yeah, Maybe but, some people will disagree. No, I, I agree. And then there's, uh, of course, uh, the other ra- racial story would be the, or issue would be the Candyman's backstory, right? Uh, yeah. Son of a slave, an artist who, like many black folks in that era, had a relationship with a white girl. And got Did not lynched. go well. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, worse than lynched. I mean, he had his hand chopped off and was bitten to death by bees. I mean, <laughs> it... And then he was burned or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's one thing they do actually show in the sequels. They show a bit more of that. Uh, oh. And it's, it is pretty horrific to watch. Um, I mean, so. lynching was actually almost as horrific as that, so... Okay, well, like, I'm not going to get into debating the horrificness of, of that. Yeah, yes, let's the, put it this way. I they agree. were all fucked it, up. It's quite bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Form of, yeah. Um, anyways, I mean, the, the the whole point is, you know, like that's another thing right. that it sort of and, put up. Yeah, and like the interracial marriage of it uh, as well. It's like, even though he, uh, he's like Candyman, it sounds like, was an aristocrat and like a pretty well-educated probably fairly wealthy guy like in the end uh like was the, he though the race i i mean like certainly for a black person in 1890 it sounded like uh like the way that they tell the story at least um yeah i mean i, but I don't know i don't know you could skew the that that depending on what you believe is the backstory you could you could skew it either way as being like yeah it's like he was a rich uh guy but in the end the skin of his uh uh, the color of his skin ran deeper uh, in the sense that he was treated that way. Yeah, I um, mean, I yeah, I, I guess I understood it so, as, as him being like highly educated, well-respected man. The the richness I didn't necessarily think of it, but I mean, but he okay. was respe- yeah, fair enough. respected fair enough. Yeah. until the color of the skin mattered. Yes, and then he was a, just a black man. Exactly. Uh, um, yeah. but yeah, and I mean th- that's one of the more subtle points that they this i mean areas where this film was and perhaps because the director didn't know how to deal with that yeah which is fair enough i i don't know that i would know how to deal with that either which is why i'm so excited for the to see what uh what is done yeah for the remake yeah agreed. um all right so besides that uh you know going into a little bit more into the actual set pieces in the film or is there any other Notable, you know, broad themes. Um, uh, you know, I'll scan my notes and I'll let you know. But uh, I think you brought up everything that at least comes to my mind, at least. All right. So, all right. So we have our opening scene. Um, I, I must actually, before that, I'm going to say like the kills here are actually fairly tame in this first film. Perhaps we've been watching yeah. too many uh, uh, 
giallo films on at this point uh yeah <laughs> you know you know it's hard to be the italians in the 70s and the 80s like one of the podcasts i was listening to was like oh yeah this sh- film showed a lot of skin uh i was like really <laughs> i mean it does <laughs> and, I, and I, it, it does for its era and where it was made but uh compared to an italian 1970s film it doesn't have much on it yeah yeah i uh, guess so i mean um I, I, I thought the kills were good. Uh, yeah. Uh, for the most part. I thought they were well done. Um, I thought, for me, one of the most jarring times, and I do like how they did it, is uh, is the moment where you kind of cut from the first half of the film to the second half. Mm-hmm. She's in the parking garage, and then uh, Tony Todd playing Candyman uh, says her name, Helen. And uh, and then we go, and she's like, all, all of a sudden, she's in uh, Anne Marie's apartment. There's a freaking severed dog head. Uh, and the baby is missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, oh, yeah, that's it's. I mean, the the set piece is amazing, uh, and also it's really great for the plot. Like plot wise, it's amazing too, right? Uh, you got yeah, yeah. I, I, this is the part where I was not expecting the movie was going to go. Uh, I did not expect the movie dealing with uh, one. I did not think they were going to kill the animal. Killing a dog is always yeah. a, it's always a, a cruel thing to do in in films. It's not a very popular thing to do either. Um, I know. Uh, but but having yeah the, the decapitated dog, the cleaver, the baby missing, and this woman full of blood. <laughs> I I just love how like, as soon as you have that and her grabbing the cleaver, you know the cops arrive. Yeah. Yeah, it's well done. Uh, I mean, and that continues to happen to uh, Helen throughout the second half of the film as she's put in these situations where she's basically framed by Candyman. I know. <laughs> repeatedly. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was a very well executed scene. And I personally liked how the scene, you know, we it it isn't the goriest film, but they do show a fair bit of gore on that shot scene. At least, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, actually, uh, Helen, blood. Helen mm-hmm. straight up like... Um cuts uh, uh Anne Marie in that scene. Mm-hmm. And and you actually get to see a little bit of that cut almost as an with almost as an Italian uh Italian giallo. Mm-hmm. Um so no for sure, for sure. Uh I guess I was just thinking because we've gotten accustomed to seeing, you know, like more graphic uh, kills, especially because I mean, many some of the some of the kills are done off camera, and what you see is the the aftermath. So with this one, yeah. for example, we don't get to see the dog being killed. I don't think I wanted to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I nor, nor did I. Uh, I I like the way they did it. I like the directorial choice they chose there. And, and the same goes when uh, uh, with the with the death of Bernie. Yeah. Yeah, they choose not to show it. In fact, it's very restrained in some sense mm-hmm. there. Uh, like, if it's Argento, Argento's, like, showing you the whole shebang. Uh, showing it. Uh, uh, they, I don't know if they use the phrase in this film, but uh, they use it in the second film, from groin to gullet, uh, which is a pretty um, <laughs> horrific way to get it. So, yeah, they uh, they don't necessarily show them in the full graphic uh, glory here. Until the Doctor. Yes, the doctor gets it good. <laughs> yeah, the doctor gets it good, and that's the first time you you because before you you're not sure if Candyman is trying to frame her, 
But with the yeah. doctor, he straight up like cuts her loose. Were you expecting that? Uh, the first time you watched it, like, were you expecting? No, I don't. I I don't think I was. Yeah, no. it it was probably one of the the funnest jump scares I've had. Uh, I guess not a jump scare because it is a full scare with the with Candyman. But when she goes, you know, like trying to prove the doctor that Candyman exists, does the Candyman yeah. five times, and you think he's just gonna show up. You don't think it's gonna, or or you think nothing is gonna happen. Those are the two things that were in my head. I did not expect Candyman just straight up stabbing the doctor from the back and then ripping him up, like ripping yeah all his entire back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it helps that Tony Todd is a, a tall, imposing dude too. I know, and I, I mean, let's talk about Tony Todd. Uh huh. Again. I think we're in disagreement whether I, I'm pretty sure he's not the guy who punched her. And and the reason why is because if there was one actor I knew of this movie was the Tony Todd uh, was Tony Todd. Uh-huh. And when the other guy um, shows up and he's like, I am Candyman, I'm like, no, that's not Tony Todd. Uh okay. Uh I will try to look that up while while we uh while you talk. Sure, sure. Uh anyways. Tony Todd, uh, I mean, portrays the character really well. I mean, he's uh, comes off like well dressed, like very well spoken. Um, the the sound editing uh, makes it so when he talks, uh, you can hear him from everywhere. I have, I do have a little bit of a, an issue with that in that sometimes it was hard to understand what he was saying. But uh, in general, still very, um, just a very imposing uh, actor and character. Um, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he doesn't exactly have like he's probably on the screen for maybe twenty minutes at most. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, he makes the most of that. Uh, he's very physical. He, I looked up his height. He's six foot five, so he's really tall. Um, and his voice, as you said, is very. Um, uh, it's very it works really well and i don't know if they like deliberately deepened it or anything like that but it's very a deep uh like a very deep and he strikes the exact right tone i think for the character too mm-hmm. it's just a kind of a joy to hear him speak um yeah uh so i i like tony todd i, th- I think he's uh good in the role yeah definitely uh i also like the uh, the, the the ghost design uh, just uh, having that, being able to see his ribs, just filled with uh, bees, gives a very uh, terrifying view. I don't know, like just it's a very terrifying image. Yeah, you know, I can't, fi- I can't find it. So if you can find out uh, who the uh, Candyman gang leader was, but I actually think it was Tony Todd. But uh, I could be wrong. Um, but that's that's what I remember. Um, from the film. Um, no, nah, I mean, I... but I, 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 let me talk about it a little bit though. I, I think it's an interesting choice to have that too, but because it, it sort of shows you the power that these myths make in sort of real life too. Mm-hmm. Even like in this case, the myth is actually real. Um, but like someone like the gang member is using the Candyman myth mm-hmm. um, for his own will to sort of like strike fear into uh, the residents of Cabrini Green mm-hmm. and like 
be an actual um i don't know i don't know what he's doing if he's selling drugs or or whatever but he's actually using the myth um to his advantage as sort of a strategic tactic mm -hmm. so i think it's uh it shows that uh other uh aspect of myth making which i thought was uh kind of added an additional layer that i enjoyed in the film yeah no i agree i agree um it makes it it makes it it both makes it feel more real and less real uh I, I do love the child too, actually. We're going to talk for a second about uh, uh, <clears throat> about Jake. Yeah. And when it comes to child actors, I know uh, you know we tend to be critical, and and this kid probably probably not the best child actor, but uh, effective and very charismatic. What do you think? Yeah. I yeah, I had no issue with him, which for a child actor means it's a plus if he didn't draw like extraneous attention to himself. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't come with high expectations for child actors. He didn't strike me as particularly great, but he wasn't bad, I think. So I, I'd consider that to be good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed his character. I enjoyed uh, how he's just like, whoa, the Candyman. Uh, before they go on, like burn down, the, uh, they, they try to burn Candyman down. Um, I mean, I mean, on, on, I'm curious now that we think about the, 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 the book, right? Because I mean, this film is based not, not a book, but in a story within a book, like, you know, the, the as you're mentioning in England, I'm curious whether or not they have like similar, uh, social situations. In um, so it was supposedly, uh, I was just reading this, uh, about segregation and the culture of poor urban areas in Liverpool. Right. So, yes, I'm, I'm, but the racial aspect would certainly be different, I'd imagine. Right, but it, I, I am curious on, on the... Because um, um, I don't know if you ever like saw this video that had gone viral like probably 10, 12 years ago. Actually, more, probably like 15 years ago. Uh, so not like, you know, pre, it was just like all over the news, which was, uh, how like in like some, uh, poor neighborhood, uh, someone so claimed to see a leprechaun uh -huh. and everyone freaked out about it. And everyone's like, oh yeah, I saw a leprechaun. I mean, uh, there was Dave Chappelle episode that literally made fun of that too. Like, uh, -huh. uh, the reason I pointed out is like, you know, at that moment, a lot of people talked about like race. Uh, you know, like racist people would say like, oh, yeah, look at ignorant race, like ignorant black people or whatever, like because, you know, racist people are racist. And I'm curious if, you know, yeah, that's not so much of a race thing and more of a class thing. Right. Like the the quick to believe on urban legends, like if someone in that poor neighborhood in Liverpool were like, oh, yeah, Candyman, you know, he comes out and kill you. And then the folks are like, oh, shit, Candyman. Right. Yeah. I mean, like literally the first half could have played that way. Uh, like if it had just ended there with like the drug person getting arrested mm -hmm. uh, from Virginia Mads or Helen's testimony, mm -hmm. uh, then it would have been like, oh, yeah, Candyman's not real. And that's how it played out. The the poor people were stupid and they believed this myth that wasn't true. But it turns out the poor people are correct about it. And uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, of and, course. Uh, the the uh, the uh, white academics are not. Right. No, the white academics are, are in the wrong. Uh, 
Candyman is very real. <laughs> and yeah. to be honest, and I mean, like, even at the end where like uh, there's like Helen's funeral and like they come, it's like they have a greater understanding of actually what happened in the situation than like uh, Trevor and uh, Trevor's new girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sorry, I interrupted you. What no, you no, 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 no. Uh, that's fine. Uh, actually, the last thing you mentioned makes me wa- do does make me wonder when it comes to the, this whole messaging uh, about whether or not she ends up becoming a white savior. <laughs> In some ways, she does uh, with the baby. Uh, and you could say that would probably would have been done differently in 2021. I would probably agree with that. Um, uh, but I don't think it's enough to, uh, no, I mean, not there, to there are things that there are certainly some things that I think would probably be done a little differently. It doesn't detract too much for me, at least. Right. I'll just speak from my perspective. No, of course. And I mean, I, I, I asked that in the sense of, uh, <laughs> Thinking more in, like, like, I mean, again, early 90s, White Saver was uh, the norm in films, you know, Dancing oh, with 100%, the Wolf, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. etc. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, even to even more recently, we have, like, White Savers with The Help, right? <laughs> yeah, which I actually have not seen, but yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, either, but uh, I'm aware of it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like the classic white saver film of the last decade, I think. Yeah. Um, so the fact that here you have it as well, but in a very subtle manner, it's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean and, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's considering the 90s. Um, yeah. I wonder how this film would have been if it was directed by Spike Lee. Probably very different. I mean, uh, I believe that the new director of Candyman is black, so I'm, I am curious to see what uh, what way they go on this new one. Mm-hmm. Especially because uh, Candyman, the original, is so explicitly about race on its own that uh, I'll be interested to see uh, what sort of angle they take. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, all right, so... I guess uh, another thing maybe to bring up would be the the scene where like I mean what were Candyman's objectives with Helen? Uh, I mean. It was uh, the line that gets remembered from the film is "Be my victim." Uh, right, that's that's the tagline. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's sort of interesting because like he seems to want her to believe and submit to that mm-hmm. uh, in a certain way. Um, so it's like the belief is obviously very important to myth making. So I thought the ideas were kind of interesting there. I don't know if it makes sense. I think Nathaniel might call on and complain about that in sort of like a literal making sense of the plot. Mm-hmm. I don't know that his uh, motives are 100% clear because it seems like there's also some sort of romantic angle playing there uh, where uh, there's sort of like obviously Candyman was originally um, lynched or killed because of the interracial um marriage uh, or interracial romance and so that we have another white lady here uh 
and Candyman is asking her to sort of be his victim um, in a way that is not unromantic. Uh, so it sort of has that, um, I don't know if ambigu- ambiguity is the right word there, but it has some of that going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's totally clear. I don't know. What was your take on it? Yeah, no, I was, I was sort of wondering about that um, as well. I I mean, it, I, I was thinking of uh, Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula, the one by um, Coppola. Coppola. Uh, uh-huh. uh, the, you know, like having the monster, if you will, um, be in love with mm-hmm. the reincarnation mm-hmm. if you uh, uh, of the woman that he... Uh, of uh, basically of his girlfriend or you know his lover uh-huh. and i was curious maybe she was sort of the reincarnation to him she was the reincarnation of the woman he was with prior to being killed it, it, it hints at that doesn't it uh bram stoker's dracula also 1992 um uh so there you go um but yeah it's interesting you bring up that film too because in some of the readings i did on this film too uh Bernard Rose talked about uh, making Candyman almost like a vampiric Dracula-like figure. Mm-hmm. And if he had been given a chance to do a sequel, he would have uh, explored that even more. So it, it is interesting because uh, almost like the way he has sort of like that like 19th century um, almost cape to him too. Oh, yeah. And the way he like lurks in the shadows. There's certainly uh, a bit of Dracula in him, uh, in his DNA. Yeah, I mean, he's a gentleman. He's a... Uh... He's a sophisticated gentleman from the from the eighteen hundreds. On yeah, he's a tragic backstory. Tragic backstory, and then you know he's more of a. I haven't seen the other uh, the other Candyman films. I hear that they're more almost closer to a slasher than uh, than this like suave ghost figure. Because I mean he's very suave. Yeah. Um. You know, a bit. Uh, I, I think this film definitely is the classiest of them all. Uh, I think it looks the best. Uh, the Philip Glass score is in the sequel as well. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, it, I guess it is a little more, more slasher-ish in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, anyways, that, that's kind of what I thought, maybe, uh, that she had like some sort of uh, more mythical connection with, with Candyman than... Uh, mm-hmm. And it was almost fate. Yeah, they they tried to kind of go that way in the sequel. Oh, um, okay. I think to somewhat mixed results. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely hints at that. But I kind of like how they don't necessarily spell it out all the way. For me, like I don't know, like ta- like flirting with those bigger ideas and showing it uh, visually in the way they do, I think is good enough for myself at least. I know for sure, and I mean it 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 gives you that partly horrific scene where he kind of kisses her or makes out with her or just puts his mouth on her mouth while there's a whole bunch of bees yeah and those are real bees too uh were they but they were but that was a dummy though right no i think they're real i I think they both got multiple bee stings i forget what they did i i I had heard about this i think i listened to podcasts back when i originally saw the film and i think they had like really young bees or something that hadn't yet developed their stingers. Um, so they had a certain way they were doing it. I mean, that's another charm of like these films too, is like, we're sort of pre, um, like for ne- these days, you probably do that mostly with CG. Mm-hmm. Um, but this looks really good. Um, and I think part of that is because they're doing a lot of stuff practically still. Um, huh. 
All right. So I do believe, I do believe uh, when, you know, they're talking or whatever and you have all the beasts on their face. I do believe, mm-hmm. I do believe you on that. But there is a scene where he opens his mouth and just a shit ton of bees come out of his mouth. I don't think that would be physically possible to do, to to shove bees down the throat and then have them come out. And that's a moment where I thought maybe in that instant, they might have had like an animatronic. Because I mean, uh-huh. I agree with you. It would. It's not, obviously you cannot do it with CG. You couldn't have done it then in the 90s. But I do uh-huh. believe that it was probably some sort of animatronic for just that one shot. Okay, well, here we go. I'm doing some live research here. Uh, the film used more than 200,000 real honeybees throughout the most uh, throughout uh, the film. The crew that. wore bodysuits to be protected from stings, although all of them faced at least one sting. Mm-hmm. Todd negotiated a bonus of $1,000 for each of the bee stings that he got during filming. So he got 23. Uh, in shooting the film's climax, where the Candyman sends 500 bees into Helen's face, he first had the bees placed in his mouth by using a protective oh, mouthpiece God. to avoid as many stings as possible. Gary had to use freshly hatched, non-stinging, and non-flying bees for the scene as Madsen was very allergic to stings. It took half an hour for all of the bees to get into Todd's mouth, and he recalled being tranced out when he let all of the bees out of his mouth. Rose also used hypnosis in his movie to work around when he saw the cliche of excessive screaming in the horror films. Okay, we're off of the bees now. <laughs> so wow, uh, uh, um, yeah, it makes it even more impressive. But yes, they uh, they went pretty all in on the bees. Wow. Okay, <laughs> I, I think they they did more than they needed. Like they, they could have used a, a they could have literally. Have, I mean. In the 80s, we already had the, the animatronics technology for having a human realistic dummy like <laughs> to do that instead of putting your actors in fucking danger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, Tony Todd got 23 bee stings from this film. I think that's more, more bee stings than he had minutes in this film. <laughs> I know, Jesus. But, you know, I mean, these, these reasons and doing stuff practically is a reason why... Uh, it looks so great. It's like building the set of like that bonfire and stuff. I mean, like that looks fantastic. Oh no, and for some sure. Of the urban design, like like this is some of like I think the best set design of uh, films in the '90s that I can think of. Yeah, no, and and the double. Uh, I'm assuming the use of double when uh, Helen is burning because because <laughs> she's burning. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that I don't know. Um, yeah, because if, not... if not, then uh, Virginia M- uh, Madsen, you know, fucking yeah, 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 yeah. like she's like the Tom Cruise of uh, the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, getting burned. Uh, yeah, I, I assume that was something else. Uh, they did that some other way, but yeah, the fire looks great too. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I mean, yeah, speak about the fire. You know that 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 last you know set piece. With a baby in that pile of just garbage, um, it's just very claustrophobic, and yeah. at the same time, it's very dreading. Like I, I, I thought she was gonna die, and she actually she did. But I'm saying I thought she was gonna die inside with the baby. It certainly seems like it. Yeah, it it's really well done. Uh-huh. Like the set pieces in this film. Um, are amazing to look at um like everything in cabrini green i think was just uh 
super impressive. Yeah. Wow, sorry, I'm just still thinking about the bees. Yeah, the it's, bees. Like I, I know that there, there are. I knew I knew that there were real bees, and I knew that when you know they, he would show show his chest or something else, like those were real, and they were all over for sure. Because I've seen videos of like bee trainers that like mm-hmm. do that, like they put some pheromone on your body, and bees just kind of like go in, mm-hmm. like you know, they go on your body, and, and that's commonly used. But to go the extra level of putting them in the mouth, yeah, that's something. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, I wonder, uh, yeah. if any animal got hurt in the, well, I guess all the beasts that, at least 26 of them died. 20, yeah, 23, or probably more, because it sounds like all the crew got stung a bunch, so. So, so there were animals hurt in making of this yeah. film. Bees. Bees. They're animals. Um, yeah. You know, for a nice film, they, they did use a couple of uh, interesting compositions. I mean, now that we're going more in the technical stuff. Uh, there were the scenes where you would see the bees flying uh, around the Willis Tower, you said it was named? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that stuff doesn't look quite so good, no. uh, in my opinion. It, 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 I mean, that's the reason like we're not seeing CG on, uh, on like the more close and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, was they, that CG or do you think that was a, comp- like a, a composition shot? Like of bees just flying over, placed over the. I don't know, but it wasn't done like literally in that way. So uh, it, doesn't it doesn't look good. Look, yeah, yeah, it doesn't look that good. Yeah. Well, I mean, same with uh, the the animation they put when the fire uh, Candyman is burning, mm-hmm. and the bees are burning with them, and they just sort of put a little uh, like animation above the fire. It looks kind of fake, mm-hmm. but it, it it has that that nightish charm. I don't mm-hmm. think that's CG either. I think that's like hand drawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Everything that they did super practically, I think, looks great. And the other stuff, it's dated in a way that, yeah, it doesn't look quite so good. Yeah, I know for sure. Now, the best kill in this film is it? Trevor? Is the last one? <laughs> you know, Trevor is the most satisfying one because he's such a dirtbag. Uh, and I kind of like how they, they do the last one, too, in the sense that, like, they show him kind of in a bad relationship, too, with his, uh, with his grad student girlfriend. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, Helen, uh, in the end, and then he says her name, uh, five times and then, uh, <laughs> yep. that's the end. Yeah. I, I really liked it. I mean, it like, there's so many, there's so many levels, right? One is he clearly... Because Helen died, yeah. fucking saving a child, and yeah. uh, and you know he's with this student, and he realizes shit. Helen was like so much better, yeah, and he's just crying and doing the Helen, 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 plus two more times, two more times, and you, you get to see his whole body just completely being cut open. It's kind of nice. Yeah, that's the most like like slasher oh, this is a bad person and we get to see them die yeah. and it's kind of joyous in a certain way uh kill that we get yeah it was almost like you know the end of the giallo films when you see the the gruesome way that the bad guy's dying and it's like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. decapitated by an ele- elevator or something like that yeah yeah 
And then seeing his buddy, his body. <laughs> yeah. I also love how uh, after he dies, uh, his new girlfriend finds him while she's holding a fucking cleaver or a giant knife. <laughs> yep, yep. They keep it up with that. Yeah, I, I like that too. Um, now, I know you've seen the, sequ- uh, the sequels, I or one of the sequels. Since I haven't, one thing I, I will point out is I think this was a very well-rounded film. Um, yep. There was... I mean, you could have had a sequel, although I would have thought the sequel would have been uh, Helen. <laughs> it, it almost hints more towards that than it does uh, a Candyman sequel. Yeah. So I'm, I think this is just a very well-rounded film. I, I, I almost don't, I don't want to watch the sequels to sort of lower the uh, quality of this. <laughs> how, 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 how have you felt about it? You know, I'm I'm generally someone that's pretty forgiving towards sequels and remakes because I think at worst they uh, are shitty and they generate more attention and make you appreciate the original more. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, the sequel wasn't great. It wasn't bad either. So I'm I'm okay. I'm glad they're. I mean, I'm curious just to see what they do with it. Uh, maybe the new one in 2021 isn't going to be good. I don't know. Um, but I am very curious to see uh, where it goes. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I'm, and I hope they take some risks on it too. Uh, like I hope it's just not, um, you know, standard play twenty uh, twenty one stuff. So we'll be interested to see what happens. Yeah, I I I I, I have um, unfortunately I have very high hopes. The reason I say unfortunately is because you know, yeah, I, I tend you to you don't want to get let down. Exactly, I, I tend to go to films with low hopes. So yeah, um, yeah, no, I I. But I do agree with you in part. I mean, for me, sequels do can or can lower the quality of a film, especially if a sequel tries to retroactively change things from the original. Yeah. Um, remakes. If I hear it's bad, I'm just not going to watch it, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that perspective. I think I kind of have a minority view uh, in the sequel and remake category of stuff. But yeah, I'm okay. I mean, like, I think a lot of, like, The Thing was a remake, for instance. Like, sometimes if the remake is good enough, it just becomes its own thing. Oh, yeah, uh, no, for sure. I mean, no, I'm, I'm not against a re- uh, against remakes or, or sequels at all. Just bad ones. Um, yeah, like, I'm not going to... Whenever, usually when when a remake or a sequel comes out, I wait a week. Yeah. To see to see if, if I want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I guess I would hope for whenever you're trying to do a sequel or a remake is that you try to bring something new to the table. You don't just try to rehash everything. Exactly. Um, so it's like one of the reasons I like um, the Dark Knight Returns, even though I think it's a very flawed film, um, is that I think it does have some interesting things that it brings to the table even though it's messy and maybe not that great right and like uh you know halloween four through seven or seven or whatever where it's just the same shit with a little bit of nonsense add to it yeah no i agree um yeah i yeah no i mean I, i think we're in the same on the same boat i mean I I'm as I said before I I I'm I'm excited for this remake so I really yeah. want to see it and I'm right now I think that 
the original is a great film. I do too. Yeah. I think it's probably one of the best horror films of the 90s, uh, which was not a great decade for horror films. Strong statement there. Well, I mean, 90s not exactly known for uh, super great horror films. But, like, I would... Personally, I, I like this film more than Scream, which is probably considered a lot of people's favorite 90s horror film. Mm. Well, Scream is more of a horror film study. Yeah, it's like a meta slasher, yeah. basically. So, I, I, I don't compare... I mean, I, the only films that I would compare Scream with are, like, other films like Cabin in the Woods or something else. Mm-hmm. For me, Scream is... It is a horror, but it's not... Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, well, this one is just straight up horror. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to review what other '90s horror there are because, because yeah, I think you might be right, and it really yeah. annoys me. I mean, <laughs> there's some stuff that I is borderline horror that I I like better. Like Seven, I think is borderline horror, um, and Silence of the Lambs. And those films, I would probably put a little above Candyman. Right. So, but it depends kind of if you put those into the uh, pure horror category or not. Yeah, those are difficult. Um, anyways, what would you rate Candyman? Yeah. Um, I would give it uh, a uh, eight and a half. Yeah. Yep, I think I agree with that. Eight and a half. Yeah. Uh, very good um, movie. Uh, who won? Uh, hmm. Lots of good choices here. Like, honestly, you could give it to Bernard Rose, the director, or you could give it to... Man, yeah. I, I'll give it to... Uh, I'll give it to Virginia Madsen. I thought she was good as Helen. I thought mm-hmm. she carried the film. She's a very engaging presence throughout the whole film, and I uh, it's a good year for her and her brother, Michael Madsen, uh, who was in Reservoir Dogs that year, chopping off some ears. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, good year for the Madsons. Um uh, so yeah, I, I think it's a really good uh, performance. Yeah, I, um... yeah. Actually, I was just looking up who would have been cast. Uh, th- one of their choices for this role would have been Sandra Bullock, and talk about a very different film. Yeah, no, for sure. No, I I agree with you. Helen Lyle was, I mean, uh, Virginia Madsen did an amazing job going from um, this. I don't know it's snobby, but like you know, very, very well entitled uh, grad student to or professor, or whatever, to this crazy woman, like you know, like for example, when she shows up back in the uh, the house when her husband, not even in just one month only, like less than a month, he's already moved in, like has his new girlfriend move yeah. in, and and pretty clearly he was already cheating on her. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, so he's just like an all-time scummy husband. Yeah, and seeing just like all the emotions that uh, Virginia Madsen just shows right there, you know, between anger, almost wanted to, almost revenge. Like at some moment, like you think she's just going to say Candyman five times. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I had a feeling because like she's like straight up like looking and you're like, oh shit, it's gonna, she's going to the Candyman. Um <laughs> To, you know, then almost just very vulnerable, like telling him, like, you are where all, all I had, you know, like all of that. Yeah. Uh, just very good performance. Yeah. So well given to her. Um, oof, yeah, for me, I, I'm, I'm struggling because uh, she's a really good choice. I think Tony 
Todd is very good for his presence, even though he's it's just such a. But yeah, but he's not there very much. Yeah, it's true. You could make the case that like this helped to make his career a lot. Uh, yeah, in a way. Yeah, I was torn between those two and the Bernard Rose, the director. Well, I mean, he's been in other films uh, afterwards, like Final Destination and stuff. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and uh, Night, uh, Night of the Living Dead in the remake. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um. Hmm. I want to say I'll give it to Chicago. No, just kidding. That's a <laughs> bullshit answer. Uh, I, that that I I think you could legitimately make the case for Chicago. Like it's a really good Chicago movie. You but, know what? Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah, I'll give it to I'll give it to. It's gonna be a tie between Chicago and. Uh, and Bernard Rose on doing such a good job at Bernard Rose and Clive Bark, uh, Barker, who's the other yeah. writer, doing yeah, yeah. such a good uh, job at integrating everything together. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're giving it to a bunch of people. Um, I did want to say a couple words on Clive Barker because he's a pretty well known guy uh, too. Mm-hmm. He's the person that like brought um, Hellraiser um, as well as uh, a Nightbreed. Um, mm. there and he's well known as a writer um interesting guy um for me personally i kind of like this because it's a sort of an amalgamation of his work as as well as bernard rose mm-hmm. um the thing that rubs me uh slightly off with a lot of kai big barker's work is that i'm not as into the world building as something like hellraiser mm-hmm. or nightbreed as he is and so this film kind of strikes this interesting mix of being more grounded as well as combining some of those elements into uh, the Candyman mythology and character. So, uh, yeah. And he also is like, you can sort of see where some of the weird lines come from. Yeah. Like, there's some very interesting stuff like, uh, like be my victim and stuff like that. It's almost like you can see those lines being spoken in Hellraiser or something like that. And I kind of like, uh, like some of those elements. Uh, and this film does a good job of not going too heavy into all of them um in the way that like i don't know hellraiser or something like that doesn't quite do it for me in the same way that this film does i completely agree i mean i i think i'm on my on the minority and i might might get some, some haters but um i've only i only watched the hellraiser one and i did not like it i thought it was boring <laughs> uh i thought it was boring and convoluted so uh I, I love the fact that this one, you know, between Barker and Rose did just such a good job at like together to form this film. Yeah. But I, I mean, agree. the reason I'm giving it to all three of them is because I think without like without Chicago, I don't think this would have worked out the same way. And no. without and without Rose, definitely this would have been a completely different movie. And without Barker, this also yeah. would have been a completely different movie. Yeah, I mean, this film, I think more than most that we brought on, feels like a very collaborative effort that was like worked super well in yeah. terms of bringing everyone together. Because without, and you didn't even mention Madsen and Tony Todd. Of course, yeah, without them, this is like totally different too. Um, yeah, so it's like if you don't have like these five different things go right, uh, then the film is probably not nearly as good as it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, all right, I think uh, that. That's it for me. Um, you know, do you have any last thoughts? Uh, no. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's a really good film. I think it looks great. I love the urban art and stuff. I think, uh, yeah. yeah, choosing a sort of like tenement building is 
a great idea. Indeed. Um, love the graffiti art. Yeah. yeah. No, it looks great. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, then, you know, there we go. Uh, you know, I, I highly recommend this movie uh, for the folks who are planning to watch the remake. I think... Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe watch it beforehand. Maybe not. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know what they're doing. If they're just remaking it, or if they're taking it a different way. You know, it might be interesting uh, if we do bring the remake on. Uh, <laughs> we might have to do what you recommended, where we wait a week after it's released and see what people think of it, <laughs> and then maybe go and see it and uh, uh, talk about it afterwards. No, I think this one we're gonna have to watch it. Uh, I'm gonna watch it. I think. Uh... Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, if you. Well, it depends. I mean, it depends on uh, if, if it gets really bad reviews. I, I I imagine you won't. I mean, then I'll wait and then maybe watch. In short, like probably it's going to be what thirty bucks on streaming. Uh, yeah. So or go to the theater. Oh yeah, I guess I could, could see in the theaters. Yeah. I I was thinking more theater, but yeah. Yeah, depending depending on uh, whether or not it's open. Uh, True, true. Depending Fair. on, yeah, whether we have moved back, you know, some. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, assuming things are, uh, are like now, then, yeah, probably theater. Um, anyways, you know, if people have thoughts, if people have comments, you know, we, we got an email address. You know that, James? <laughs> what? Yeah, we have an email address. <laughs> it's ZA Film to film at gmail.com and the two is with the number two so if people have been writing to the wrong place uh, don't sorry (laughs) (laughs) and then we also have a twitter account which is and I'm trying uh, I want to say is at CA's film to film yep that's right yeah same thing with the number two yep so if you have ideas of films or you know if i got something wrong because i've said a lot of things today you can always also tell us <laughs> yeah you can live fact check us yeah or not live fact check us yeah I, i'm just saying that because i i don't think how how, how often have we been uh hit by like on either of those two mediums uh we've never been hit over fact checking so that means we must be 100 percent correct on all of our facts there you go. There you go. Uh, We're right 100% of the time. Yeah. But yeah, if, any, if there are any like inner Nathaniels out there, you know. Yeah. You're always welcome to... Uh, or, or the actual Nathaniel. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Uh, I'm getting derailed. Um, I hope everyone has a good night when you're listening to this or good morning, good day. Yeah. Um, we'll see you all next time. See you next time. Be well.